0: Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Techum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's talk by Lama Kathy Wesley is entitled The Gentle Power of Love, Part 3. Aspiration is a key method for beginning our training in love. If we can imagine goodness for others, we can begin taking the steps needed to accomplish those thoughts and dreams. This series is based on Kempo Kartar Rinpoche's teaching on the Dedication and Aspiration chapter of Shantideva's The Way of the Bodhisattva. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Teksem Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast.
1: so uh thanks very much for taking time out of your weekend to be with us today and uh in in advance, happy Father's Day to all the fathers who are here and all of the fathers who don't know their dads yet because they you know they just um they haven't gotten the situation Let's see here okay, here we go so anyway, um happy Father's Day to all the dads uh dads of the past, dads of the future. Dads of the now, you have hard work, <laughs> and uh, to all of the us who had dads um, uh, they did our they did their best and uh, and now uh, we're working to be of benefit to them as well. so anyway, thank you so much for um, for being here and one thing I can always say about my dad is that because of my dad, I ended up with what my teacher called. A precious human life, which meant that which means that I have the opportunity uh, to um, to learn about the teachings and to practice meditation and if i didn 't have a dad, this would not have been possible so thanks dad the today and um, uh, last, uh, last time I spoke and then today I've been uh, doing a continuing series on, that I'm calling The Gentle Power of Love. It's based on a teaching that Kempo Carter Rinpoche gave uh, a few weeks ago at our home monastery in Woodstock, New York. The, the uh, teaching was on uh, the practice of loving kindness and compassion and he used as his... Um, as his uh, text, the tenth chapter from Shanti Deva's book, "The Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life." So uh, today I'm going to begin by um, asking if we can have two people, one to hand out on this side, one to hand out on that side. hand out these copies of the dedication because I'm going to draw your attention to some of the, um, some of the verses in it. I'm sorry there's more. <laughs> um, The story about this um, teaching uh, is that um, in the 8th century there was a a Buddhist monastery in India. And in that uh, Buddhist monastery among the community of monks was a particular monk who had a lot of love and compassion in his heart. But other people judged him to be lazy. They said, "Oh, well you're worthless, you're lazy. So the other monastics tried to embarrass this compassionate, sensitive man. They tried to embarrass him into leaving, and so they did this. They did this by um, saying, "Oh well, it's your turn to give the Dharma talk. Uh, we hope that when you get up on that big tall throne, that um, that maybe uh, we will see how uh, lazy and unintelligent you are, and that you'll be so embarrassed you'll leave." Well of course because he was a secret bodhisattva he, his kindness and goodness came from deep within him through his own awakened nature he was able to not only give like the uh, best off the cuff teaching ever given it covered all of the all of the basics of buddhist teachings it covered uh, the four noble truths it covered the eightfold noble path it covered um, all of the methods that the Buddha gave for um, dealing with the self-fixation that he said leads to the suffering we experience in this world. And it also dealt with the, the very powerful force called bodhicitta. Bodhi means awakening and citta means mind. And it means that our mind has the potential to awaken to its own nature. And if we practice bodhicitta, which is both love and compassion and the practice of an understanding of the nature of mind and the nature of the world. If we can practice these two types of bodhicitta, relative bodhicitta, love and compassion, and ultimate bodhicitta, wisdom and knowledge. If we can practice these two kinds of bodhicitta, we could also become Buddhas. This is why in the teaching of the Buddha, every person is worthy of respect. Every person is worthy of caring and respect. And because they all have the potential to be Buddhas, and so um, when he completed giving this teaching, he began the, the story from the the legends of the life of Shantideva. By the time he got to chapter ten, he had already started hovering over his seat and was and gave the last of the of the talk from the from the sky and i guess the people who had wanted to shame him i think they they probably decided that that was maybe not the thing that they wanted to do so in any case we're going to start by looking at the um at the book uh at the uh, chapter 10 we don't have enough time in every class to read the entire uh dedication but um I would like to um uh to to read a little bit of it uh, let's see if I can find it okay uh the first the first verse uh verse one is uh about, it says it says through the virtue of having composed this work, a guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life, may all living beings come to engage in the Bodhisattva's conduct." What he means by this is that uh, when a person tries to teach the teachings that help people gain liberation from suffering, they actually accumulate a virtuous mind state. We all know what a virtuous mind state feels like to us. It's what we feel when we actually are able to be generous to people and kind to people, when we're kind to ourselves, when we're kind to others, and we feel their kindness in return if we feel the the kindness that we feel, that is virtue, that is the mind of virtue. Some people call it good karma, some people call it good karma, this mind of virtue, because it leads us into uh, experiencing the world in a different way. Because normally we might experience the world as a dangerous place, and maybe even an evil place, but when we have this mind of virtue, we see ourselves and others uh, in a more charitable way. So that's a little bit about that. So that's what he means. And then he begins to make aspirations based on his virtue. He says, may all beings everywhere plagued with sufferings of body and mind obtain an ocean of happiness and joy by virtue of my merits. And it says, for as long as they remain in cyclic existence, meaning samsara, this world of suffering the Buddha talked about, May their mundane happiness never decline and may all of them uninterruptedly receive waves of joy from the bodhisattvas. Meaning, may they, um, may they be, be befriended by bodhisattvas who look out for them in this life for them. And then, uh, and then it makes, uh, continues to make aspirations. And we covered these the last time, but I'm going to just review um, the, the next two, number four and number five. May all embodied creatures who throughout the universe experience helix realms, may they come to enjoy the bliss of Sukhavati, meaning the the pure realm of happiness, which arises from enlightenment. And may those feeble with cold find warmth, may those oppressed with heat be cooled by the boundless waters that pour forth from the great clouds of the Bodhisattva's merits. In other words, Um, may beings have what they need because from the moment we decide we're going to follow the path of the Buddha, wherever that is for us. For some people, the decision to follow the path of the Buddha will happen when we open our first Buddhist book. We're going to read that book and we're going to say, this sounds like me. This sounds like how I think. And so that's when we first tread the Buddhist path, when we read a book and say, you know, that's, that's me. That's my life. That's what I believe. Uh, for other people, it will be when they take their uh, Buddhist vow of refuge, when they stand before an image of the Buddha and say, Buddha is my teacher, Dharma is my path, Sangha is my community. For, so that's what it will be for other people. So no matter where it is that you begin your Dharma path, whether it's through a, a statement all alone in your room reading a book, or if it's a formal statement in front of an image of the Buddha saying that you take refuge in the Buddha as the teacher and so on. From the moment you begin to tread the Buddhist path until the moment of your enlightenment, there's going to be a little bit of karma to work through. You know, there's going to be a little karma that you've got to kind of work through uh, because we are beings who have over many, many lifetimes accumulated a lot of karma And so we have to begin to work through it. And we're going to work through it, hopefully, with a sense of joy and happiness by practicing love and compassion for ourselves and practicing love and compassion for others. And so that's a little bit about um, what it is that we are doing and why we are creating a mind of virtue. We are creating a mind of virtue because we're going to need it for that journey between that moment when we took interest in the Buddhist path in the moment we achieve enlightenment. We've got to have a virtuous mind to help us get through the, all of the things that come in between. And making aspirations like the aspirations in chapter 10 are part of our practice of virtue. So that's a little bit about what we discussed last time. And um, and then uh, this time I'm going to be talking about the uh, the. Let's see if I can find it here. Uh, starting on page two of our little text. Uh, in uh, We're going to start with uh, verse 16. It says, May all animals be free from the fear of being eaten by one another. May the hungry ghosts be as happy as the humans of the northern continent. So... Um, Basically, in the the Buddhist cosmology, there are six states of existence, and these six states of existence could be seen as realms or places, but in his teaching, Kempo Karthur Rinpoche was asked, you know, do Buddhists, like, believe in hell, and if so, like, where is it? And he said, well, he said, it's the experience, not necessarily the place. He said, I can't tell you. I can't sit here, he said, and tell you that there's a place called hell with it, you know, like over the door and all of that, you know. He says, I can't tell you that there's a place like that. He says, but we all know that there's an experience like that. Many of us, even in this life, have experienced something that we felt was like hell. And so, and so he said, as long as you understand that the experience exists and it's something that humans can ex- experience, then he said, then you can begin to have compassion for the, for the beings who are in that state. And you can, and experiencing that state, if you can feel compassion for them as they suffer, this is helpful for you. And he says, and it's also helpful when you think of all of the other beings in this world who are suffering from all kinds of things. And in the, in where animals are, and, and animals, you know, we think they have such a good life because we're so familiar with domestic pets. You know, our cats and dogs and birds and snake and fish and all of those things that we keep as pets, they have a better life than the majority of animals who live in the wild. Because animals who live in the wild, they have a bit of a problem. They're always uh, having to eat one another or, I mean, they have to. What can they do? They have no choice. They can't, uh, they can't go anywhere else for their food. So they have to rely on other animals. And then, of course, the animals who are being relied upon, as being a food source, are not happy about it and they feel a lot of, of stress and fear. So what they're saying here is may all of those animals be freed from all of the fear that they experience. And that also he says may the hungry ghosts be as happy as the humans of the northern continent. The northern continent is a place of wealth and comfort. And so may they be as happy. Uh, the hungry spirits are those who experience addiction Those who are addicted to uh, substances, people, experiences, things, uh, they live always uh, uh, in hunger for more of the thing that they're addicted to. And they're always in pain of thirst and hunger for the things that they are addicted to. And so it's saying, may they be freed from that which they crave. May they be freed from their craving and may they come to happiness and the 17th chapter talks about uh how in the the buddhist cosmology it is seen that hungry ghosts are satisfied they think of them as being satisfied by milk you know that the idea that milk symbolizes their freedom from craving you know as it just as it does for a human baby you know milk satisfies their craving and so just as the, as babies in our world are satisfied, may all of these hungry spirits also be satisfied. Mm. Then, may the in chapter in verse 18, may the blind see forms, the deaf hear sounds, and just as it was with Maya Devi, the the mother of the Buddha, may uh, pregnant women give birth without pain. May the naked find clothing, the hungry find food, the thirsty find water and delicious drinks. May the poor find wealth, those weak with sorrow find joy. May the forlorn find hope, constant happiness and prosperity. May all who are sick and ill quickly be freed from their illness, and may every disease in the world never occur again. And so these types of aspirations then involve us in the world. When we recite these aspirations, we're not saying some kind of pie-in-the-sky thing. We're saying, may I be aware of the suffering of others? Because often we'll pass by people, just like they don't matter, like they're invisible, and we don't see their suffering. And that actually is not necessarily a good thing. We might feel uncomfortable when we see a person who is suffering and we may wish to shield our eyes from that person and pretend that that person is not there. We see it at the street corners when people are asking for money, don't we? The people who pass by and look at their feet rather than seeing the suffering of the person in front of them. Um, In uh, the city where I live, uh, there are people who stand at the uh, street corners with signs. When, so when people have, have stopped at the traffic light, that they will see that they are in need. Now, some of these people, of course, are professional. And uh, and they have found that this is their way to make extra money. And they may not truly be in need, but they uh, they use this as a means of making money. But if no other reason than they are in that kind of state of mind where they feel that that is how they have to make their living, then uh, then we feel if we don't look at them, if we fail to look at them and see their suffering, something happens inside us. And that there's something that's switched off inside us when we don't look at the suffering of others. Uh, some potential for kindness and warmth toward ourselves is switched off when we pretend that other people are invisible. And so I just want to remind you that these verses may sound like they come from long ago and far away and that the things they are wishing for are impossible things to wish for. But if we connect it to our lives and see that by speaking about these things, about the blind, about the deaf, about the poor, about the weak, and those who are sad, and so forth, and sick, and so forth and so on. If we could just open our eyes to them for a moment and, and not turn away from them when we pass by. I have a friend who is a minister and he um, he is uh, active on social media, and he once said, uh, in one of his postings, he said, he said this in a facetious manner, so bear with me. He said, "Never talk to a homeless person, never look at them, never engage them, never ask them how they're feeling, because if you do, you will find that they are human, and they are worthy of your compassion." So he was using this sort of opposite way, saying, don't do this, when what he really means is, you should do this. You know, he's, he's using this kind of language in order to help us see those who are not seen. And we all do it, and so it's kind of good as we read these verses to think about those who we have seen but not seen. Uh, So anyway, that's part of the reason I wanted to mention these verses in particular today. Because um, often when we see people who are suffering, we turn away partially because of fear, but partially because we don't know what to do. We feel helpless. And so what my friend's comments were, which is to speak to them, to speak to those who are suffering, even if there's nothing we can do. It helps them not be invisible to us or to anyone. And so in a way, if it if it is safe to to engage someone, you can do it. But there may be situations in which we feel unsafe engaging with someone. And those we can at least in our hearts and minds say, make aspirations and prayers for the person to be free from suffering i was in uh, new york city uh, recently and uh, there was a person i didn't feel safe uh, encountering who was uh, gesturing and making threatening statements to everyone who passed by i could not look and engage look at and engage bec- uh, this man because i felt fear that i would not know what to do so that's that's for me to learn somewhere in the future to have courage in those situations. But in the meantime, what I did was I imagined that the great Bodhisattva of compassion, Chenrezig, was dissolving into light and blessing him uh, and then covering him with uh, white light. That was the best I could do. I couldn't engage him because it didn't feel safe to me. But if if we could at least have this kindness toward the person, Even if we can't engage them, this is going to make us more human and it will make us more open to our own, I guess you could say our own sufferings and our own capability to free ourselves from suffering. So I just wanted to bring that up because everybody's felt this. And during the questions, uh, in a few minutes when we do questions, people can share any thoughts they might have about this. Um. But uh, I wanted to uh, bring up these verses uh, this time and to uh, uh, talk about them a little bit. Um, I'm going to keep going. Uh, would you like to read with me, please? Uh, we're going to um, start with 21, and then we're going to read... Um, um, we're going to go, I think, all the way to, um, uh, like, number uh, 29, or let's see, whatever, whatever, do? Yeah, we'll go to like uh, number 29. So we're going to go from um, 21 uh, to 29. We'll start with the word may all who. May all who are sick and ill quickly be freed from their illness and may every disease in the world never occur again. May the frightened cease to be afraid and those bound be freed May the powerless find power, and may people think of benefiting one another. May all travelers find happiness everywhere they go, and without any effort may they accomplish whatever they set out to do. May those who sail in ships and boats obtain whatever they wish for, and having safely returned to the shore, May they joyfully reunite with their relatives. May troubled wanderers who have lost their way meet with fellow travelers. And without any fear of thieves and tigers, may their going be easy without any fatigue. May those who find themselves in trackless, fearful wildernesses, the children, the aged, the unprotected, those stupefied and the insane be guarded by beneficent celestials. May beings be freed from all states of no leisure and be endowed with faith, wisdom, and kindness with food obtained in a proper manner and excellent conduct. May they be mindful throughout their lives. May all beings be without want for wealth just like the treasury of space, and without it it being the source of dispute or harm, may they always enjoy it as they wish. This is the last one? May those who have little splendor come to be endowed with majesty, and may those whose bodies are worn with toil find magnificent and noble forms. Okay, thank you. Um you may you may wonder why Shanti Deva says all of this, and it's because these are the things that all human beings um, wish to. These are the sufferings that human all human beings wish to be free from, and the blessings that all human beings want. And so, in a way, he's asking us to be universally aware of ourselves and others, not to uh, shield ourselves from seeing others but to see others and to be disposed in a kindly way toward them. And uh, people say uh, these days a lot, they say, well, this world is so full of meanness right now. There's so much meanness in this world. How can we possibly ever change this world that's so full of meanness? And I sort of think, in my own mind, that if we could all internalize these ideas so that we can be aware of and see those who are suffering not turn away and be aware of and see our own suffering and the suffering of others, if we can be aware of and make an aspiration to at least someday, somehow, somewhere, even if we can't do anything now, even if we don't feel equipped to do anything now, may we make the aspiration that at some point in the future we will be equipped to do it, even if it seems beyond human capability and beyond our capability. Because uh, aspiration for many of us is the way that we begin any endeavor. Anything that we want to do, we begin with an aspiration. May I learn this? And when we learn to meditate, what did our teachers tell us when we first learned to meditate? Our teachers said, uh, when you first sit down to meditate make the aspiration that you're going to actually stay on your seat for a few minutes and practice the techniques of meditation make that aspiration so that you can do that and so even just practicing meditation we begin with an aspiration because it lifts us beyond where we think we could go and lifts us beyond where we feel that we are right now because if you understand the teachings of the Buddha, the Buddha said all of us have the potential to become Buddhists in the future. This, is a, this could both be a wonderful thing and an enormous feeling of responsibility. But if we take it step by step by step by step, reading these aspirations regularly, we might actually begin to become ready to believe. As my friends in 12-step say, we, we may come to believe gradually come to believe that we have the, the potential to be restored to some kind of sanity. And, uh, and so this is, I think, how we can begin to help this world, is by taking this attitude and by being, by being this person. And, uh, and so that's uh, why I called this uh, lecture series, The Gentle Power of Love. Because a lot of people think of of love as being passive or weak because it's love <laughs> you know it's a it's the i think they're thinking of the kind of of like romantic love or something like that that gets sung about in songs as opposed to the powerful love that arises when we realize that we are human and that we are in community with all other humans and even with nonhumans that we're we're living in community with uh nonhumans as well and with the environment so we have to reestablish these connections between each other and between our world and and so forth and so um uh, uh, this is why i call it the gentle power because love's power is not an uh uh, a pick-you-up-all-at-once-and-throw-you-over kind of judo maneuver. It's not like that. It's uh, it's a gradual uh, a coming to believe in one's own power and the power of love to transform our lives. When we begin to feel gratitude for our lives and uh, to feel gratitude for our situation, that is a kind of love that is not sung about in songs but is nonetheless very powerful so um, that's what i wanted to talk about today Um, and uh, we have a few minutes uh, that where we could have some discussion about the power of aspiration the power of not turning away from the sufferings of others the the power of making an aspiration even when we feel weak and incapable of solving a suffering that's in front of us. And uh and then the uh the idea of us being uh, shall we say Buddhas in the making? We're not Buddhas today, but we are Buddhas in the making. Uh those of you who saw the very clever t-shirt that was designed for us for this year, and we're I think we're gonna be selling them a confest and so forth. Uh, The cartoonist, um, our cartoonist friend, uh, Max, who lives in Los Angeles, uh, created uh, a a T-shirt where he says, it has a label, Bodhisattva in Training, with a cartoon figure of a Bodhisattva trying to uh, be everywhere and do everything. And it's very whimsical and cute and uh but I love the idea that, even though we're not Buddhas right now, we're Buddhas in training. we're Bodhisattvas in training, and it's a great job. Uh, we fail a lot by the way. Uh, bodhisattvas in training fail a lot um, we uh, we have all of our old bad habits that push us into our bad habits and actions of the past, but then uh, we're trying to and we're trying to perhaps awkwardly and perhaps clumsily learn new habits. We're trying to practice, and so we're a little bit of a mess as we try to let go of old habits and take hold of new, healthier ones. So we're a bit of a mess, but that's okay. We're all being a mess together. Uh, And so hopefully we can cut each other a little slack Anyway, so I should uh, stop talking. Um the 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 question microphone is open for business uh if you want to uh line up and uh, ask questions, you can do it that way and uh, we can put some chairs over there perhaps for people who are waiting.
2: Hi Lama Kathy. Hi. So um these words I think uh Kimpo Karthar Rinpoche was saying that they come from like a Bodhisattva, right?
1: Uh-huh. Deva. Yeah.
2: And uh, and these are some very beautiful words, but I'm wondering how, how this can come from my own heart. Because um, while just saying them is great, uh, I don't know how it's going to... I, I need a little help with the coming from
1: inside part. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, there are two ways to approach this. Um, one of the ways to approach it is um, is something that, um, I, again, our 12-step friends are familiar with the phrase, fake it till you make it. <laughs> so what that means is that the, the words themselves will be like water filtering down through uh, the dirt to reach the seed that's planted beneath the, 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 the earth. So we open up the earth and place a seed, then we cover it over, and then we moisturize it with this water. And then through the, the warmth of the sun and all of these things, the, the seed begins to sprout. But it doesn't sprout all at once. It sprouts very, very gradually with the continuous application of water. So our aspiration is like this continuous application of water that we're slowly, the seeds that are naturally within us will sprout. And it, it, what, what I'll call it is the words are a um, a positive environment. Okay. By reciting the words themselves, we create a positive environment in ourselves. And that positive environment in ourselves will help us to to actually be more Capable of carrying them out in the future now that 's the fake it till you make it technique yeah. I think that we should we should actually use all of these. The second method is what i 'm going to jokingly call the rehearsal method uh, when when people are getting ready um, uh, to uh, um, to do something that they're unfamiliar with, they will sometimes rehearse it in their minds Mm -hmm. before they do it. And in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, we have a real ideal rehearsal. And it's called the practice of compassion meditation or sending and receiving. Mm -hmm. Or in Tibetan, it's called tonglen. And it's the main rehearsal method for the practice of bodhicitta and all of the texts that teach you how to train your mind in this way because mm-hmm. it is all about training, right? Mm-hmm. The 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 topic of mind tr- training or low jong in Tibetan has to do with these rehearsals. Mm-hmm. So you sit on your meditation seat and even though you're not feeling particularly compassionate that particular day, you nonetheless rehearse Mm-hmm. you imagine that all the beings in the world are receiving your love and compassion on the outbreath and that wherever they are in this vast universe you know under the carpet over the carpet around the corner across the world and in in even into deep interstellar space wherever there are sentient beings we imagine that the love that we uh, are training in goes out from us and it touches all of them and benefits them it It's a rehearsal to have the feeling. then when we breathe in, we imagine that all of their difficulties and pain and suffering come uh, are actually removed from them, and they come to us and then the instant that the they enter us with the breath, they meet our pure motivation, and all that suffering dissolves into. Uh, nothingness and disappears completely. Poof, it's gone. And then with the out-breath, we rehearse sending goodness. The in-breath, we rehearse removing suffering. And it really does happen incrementally, one moment at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time. And that that's how we actualize it. And then we actualize it through the fake it till you make it, which has to do with our aspirations and our actions, and then the rehearsal, which is the mental preparation of, of Tong Lin. But I'm thinking I may not have covered everything. Did, did I miss something? No, I think that's good. That's good, good enough a good for start. me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good start for me. Okay. Because one of the other good things about aspirations is it reminds us that we have Buddha nature mm-hmm. and that we have the potential. So even if we can't see it, it's like the sun behind the clouds. You can't see it like... What is it? we It's going to rain for the next nine days here or something, somebody told me. Anyway, we're just going to have to have faith that the sun is still out there. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, Lama Kathy. Yeah. Other other people want to ask questions. I thought I saw two people in line. I did not. Okay. Okay, here comes one. Here comes one. Here comes, here comes a sentient being.
3: <laughs> That's high praise right there. <it>? So you think I'm sentient, huh? Uh
1: -huh, Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Are going to try to disprove me? I'm sorry. We know each other really well. I don't even have
3: to try, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric and I joke around a lot, so pardon that. Okay, yes.
3: Um, This is more of just a reflection of something you can do. Mm -hmm. Uh, People who know me know that I plug daily practice hard whenever (laughs) I can. Yeah, Um, yeah. If you have the aspiration to practice, do it. And it's good to start the day there.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And if you can imagine for yourself what Lama Cathy just shared of uh, Chenrezig dissolving into you or any other goodness you can imagine,
2: mm-hmm.
3: then with the, the dedication of your practice, this is something I've been doing. I just make the wish that anybody I see, anybody who hears me or sees me, who is touched by my breath, my smell, sometimes not so good, you know, whatever. Um, However, there's a connection that just that would be a blessing. And you know what? That way, when you see somebody that you're going to want to back away from, at least you know that connection. At least you've aspired for that to be a blessing. And that since I've worked downtown, mm-hmm. that's become a thing for me. Oh, because good. there are people around town.
1: Mm-hmm. The
3: other thing is is I've been watching my mind and I noticed that I recoil from some things. Yeah. Usually before the recoiling happens though, there's this like empty spot. Mm-hmm. It's like, what yeah. do I do is the first thought after I experienced mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. confusion or
2: mm-hmm. not knowing. Mm-hmm.
3: Another practice that I learned from a meditation teacher long ago named Shoshona Cooper mm-hmm. is that instead of leaning back, lean in. Mm-hmm. And realize that what's in front of you contains a divine spark or mm-hmm. the potential for enlightenment. And just that alone may open a door or it may not. Mm -hmm. But instead of reinforcing the habit of backing off, at least mentally, you start a new habit of connecting. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you were sharing with us today is a new habit of connecting in a virtuous way. Right. And so I thank you for that.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I can. I, I really appreciate you saying that because um, I forget how many years ago I read um, I read uh, the life story of the previous Kalu Rinpoche, a great Tibetan teacher, and um, and in his um, in his life story and in his uh, book, he talked about uh, one of his prayers, and that this prayer was actually one of his prayers that he would make all the time, would be like whoever sees me. Uh, interacts with me, may they be benefited because um you know for what for better or worse, like karma is real, you know, and when we meet people, we create a connection to them, and that that connection is real and that it it goes forever and uh, and so if we make our wish that everyone who sees us benefits, then even if we make mistakes even if we make a complete and utter fool of ourselves with other people, we will have made an aspiration that will transform even our mistakes into something good. This doesn't mean that we should make this aspiration and then go out and purposely hurt people, because that's not exactly what's meant. Uh, For example, this week um, I attended uh, a concert, and it was at like the biggest arena, one of the biggest arenas in town, and i realized that i would be seen by literally thousands of people as i walked through the the hallways you know and uh and because uh and i was even seen by the performer it was an accident but i still you know it happened and and so i made this aspiration that everyone who sees me or or hears me, or whatever, has that connection, and that that is a positive connection for them, and that they eventually come into contact with their Buddha nature and with great teachers, and so forth, and so on. So, these kinds of aspirations, thank you for doing it. Because it's really great, because it may seem like a silly thing to do, but like it's easy to remember because how many among us feel self conscious all the time? I, yeah, I feel self conscious like continuously. I feel like people are looking at me and I don't like it. Oh, you're all looking at me now. Sorry. Anyhow, but, um, <laughs> oh well, it's all right. Um, I never did take the Myers Briggs, but I have a feeling that if I ever did, I would probably be a true extrovert, but let's not go there. But, anyhow, um, but, I often do have like an uncomfortable feeling, like somebody's looking at me and I, it scares me or I don't like it or something, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Right the next moment I try to say, well, even though I'm feeling super uncomfortable right now, may that person benefit, you know, like what may that person see uh, something of Buddhism, may it see something beneficial. And so by making that aspiration, at least I'm changing my side of the equation. And if, the, and if Buddhism is true, that our aspirations actually impact other people, then I think we've done some good. So anyway, there's that. Yes?
2: I'd like to thank you for um, your words from your, your minister friend who said that you should look, look at and talk to um, the homeless and see that they're human. Mm-hmm. Because my husband it was like the first director of the first um, publicly funded homeless shelter in Columbus, and then ran the um, soup kitchen at St. John's for six years. And so, uh, you know, he's like brainwashed me into that the attitude, a uh, different attitude toward the mm-hmm. homeless. But mm-hmm. other family members say never give money to the homeless because they'll just use it for drugs and they'll. And also, there are. Resources they can access, and you should be directing them to the resources. but when I look at the homeless people, a lot of them don't look like they um have uh, you know, the wherewithal to yeah. figure out where those resources are, and you know they don't have cars so they don't have um money for a bus to go there and then they don't have a place to store things and like them um I saw a young couple d- downtown they were like in their early twenties. It was a bitter cold winter day and the woman was wearing little leggings and um sneakers and a hoodie and th- you know there's yeah. places to get winter coats like the thrift store you can get one for a couple dollars but they you know where th- where their family members to help yeah. them do this. Mm-hmm. The most pitiful thing I saw was um outside of Kroger's at dusk on a bitter cold winter day a little a little um weather-beaten, skinny, raggedy man in a wheelchair Hmm. begging by the side of the um, parking lot in the dusk where he could get hit by cars. So I just like to encourage people Mm -hmm. to like Mm -hmm. give a quarter or Mm -hmm. I always save my quarters and that's what I use them for Mm -hmm. Uh, and um, Mm -hmm. or give a dollar and then I go to Aldi's and I buy these boxes of granola bars that have you know nuts and dark chocolate, and like for a dollar you can get a whole box of them. But then I noticed that some of these people I was giving to didn't have any teeth. So then oh. I oh. then I looked for um, like nut grain bars that you could yeah. eat without teeth. Yeah. So I just like to encourage, and then I just have this warm glow of feeling. I know it's just mm-hmm. a band aid that we mm-hmm. need to restructure our whole economic system in mm-hmm. America, mm-hmm. and. um if, and a lot of people if, they, if we had a livable wage, they might not be out there begging et cetera mm-hmm. et cetera but it's still it when it's a, when it's a bitter cold winter day i'm I'm willing to just apply the band aid and have a warm mm-hmm. fuzzy feeling in my heart about mm-hmm. doing it mm-hmm.
1: i i appreciate i appreciate you sharing your experience um there's a in in the town I live in uh there's um there's a woman i've gotten to know i i don't need to say her name but i did ask her i did ask her for her name i said well what's your name and why are you here cuz we were at a very long traffic light and um and i did i gave her i gave her the change uh that i had in my car and i said you know I said, no, do you have a safe place to stay? And she's, you know, and, and so forth and so on. And I say, you know you can go to this particular place and get food and a shower. And she said, yeah, I'm familiar with that place. And I said, well, make sure you go there. And so forth and so on. And uh, at the end I, I, uh, of whatever exchange that I have, I try to say um, either or both. Omane pay me hong or God bless or both because I just want to say something that has some kind of meaning. And uh, the, the compassion mantra, Omani Mani Hong, is a way of calling on the bodhisattva of compassion. So it's just something you know uh, to, that you can say. Um, we have time for one more question. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I forgot to say, almost every person I give money to tell, says to me, God bless me. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there
1: you go. Yeah, thanks. So, is there time? For, is there one more question out there? If not, we can meditate. Okay. Uh, uh, thank you very much. And um, we are—we're about. Oh, I'd say we're about halfway through this text. Uh, not quite halfway through the text, but um, we'll keep working on it a few verses at a time, and then I'll continue to share some of the things that Kemper and Bache had to say about these verses. And uh, in the meantime, um, uh, when, you know, um, when, when you're finished with the, the text at the end, you can bring them up and put them in, uh, here uh, on, the, on the table or the chair. And, uh, but in the meantime, let's um, sit quietly for a moment and uh, mentally uh, dedicate uh, the goodness of this session We dedicate the goodness of this session to all who suffer. May they be seen, may they be heard, may they be known, may they be freed from their suffering and come to awakening. And when they come to awakening, may they emanate everywhere and benefit sentient beings endlessly. We mentally dedicate the goodness with this thought in mind. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you to the sound department. You guys are amazing.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Texam Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.